Welcome to 1991 Movie Rewind, a podcast where we watch and review every movie released in 1991, from the all-time greatest classics to the critically panned and everything in between. We will rediscover forgotten fan favorites and uncover hidden gems as we explore the depths of direct-to-video. Join us in our celebration of the fun, unique, and diverse films of this highly underrated year. This week, we watched Father of the Bride. In Father of the Bride, George Banks, played by Steve Martin, recounts all of the events leading up to the wedding of his only daughter Annie, played by Kimberly Williams Paisley. George is taken aback by the surprise engagement announcement and becomes increasingly flustered as he is not only losing his little girl, but also more money than he ever expected on this elaborate celebration. Screenplay by Francis Goodrich, Albert Hackett, Nancy Myers, and Charles Shire, directed by Charles Shire, and released on December 20th, 1991. You've seen Father of the Bride before. Yes. I... Yeah. This is one of the few that I have also seen. <laughs> I know that, you know, most of the time I say no, or I don't even remember, but this is one that I have seen. And probably because we've... I've seen most of, like, the major hits, not all of them, but I've seen most of the major hits, and this was a major hit. It was number nine on our box office list. Huge, huge... Uh, performance on this one I don't remember what happened in the movie though because I think I only saw it when it first came out oh okay because I've seen both movies Father Bride 1 and 2 so many times that I just remembered everything I guess and it was just on cable a lot yeah I would imagine it probably was <laughs> i don't even know if i've seen this second I, I honestly can't fully remember if i've seen the second one but we saw this one you know we rented the video and everything but it's been so long that i kind of remembered it differently i thought this was going to be i, I don't know more like a zany madcap money pit type of a movie you know what i mean like it, yeah like more things would go wrong yeah like things were going to go wrong and that um, more physical comedy involved, things like that. You know, think about the scene where Steve Martin, George, and, and um, Diane Keaton are meeting the in-laws for mm-hmm. the first time. Yeah. And so, like, Steve is, you know, ransacking the office and, and finding the bank book, and then he has to hide the fact that he found the bank book because it somehow landed outside into the pool and all this kind of stuff. And so... You know, it ends with him falling into the pool. Yeah, and then that's the end of the scene. And he's hanging off the ledge, and then he falls into a pool later on. Like, I thought there was more scenes like that in this whole thing. that scene just ended, and then it wasn't... Like, when he comes... How does he explain his wet clothes when he comes back inside? Yeah, like, I wanted to know what happened at the end of that, because basically what's going on is George's jealous of the rich in-laws the the person that annie is marrying uh well gosh what is he brian mckenzie yeah. so he's going to see the brian's parents and meet them and they're super rich they live in this massive mansion and george is extremely jealous of the whole situation and so he finds their bank book 
while snooping after going to the bathroom and like the they have attack dogs they're chasing him or you know quartering him in this office because they're growling and he's not supposed to be there he's an intruder and so he climbs out the window loses the bank book in the pool because he tries to toss it up and fails because you know like a lot of like weird circumstances yeah their housekeeper was cleaning their rugs or whatever and you know like taking the dust out of it and that just push it like it went just went into the pool but and then he why, tried to get out of the pool yeah he, he tried to in. get it out of the pool and he falls in obviously but why couldn't he just leave the bank book there and you know just the like the mckenzie's can be like hey what the fuck why is my bank book here right i would just leave it i wouldn't yeah. even try but I mean, we wanted to see what the conversation was because he he he's in the pool and he's wet, and then cut scene onto the next, and yeah. it's not mentioned again until later on. Yeah, when they, when Brian admits that you know, well, they or tells tells sort his of break daughter. up for like a day. Yeah. Annie and Brian, and that's when you know George goes into Annie's room and you know explaining like all the things why she wants to end the marriage and then she's like and then he had this crazy story about you and it's just exactly what he did at their house meeting them so they obviously didn't get out of it I just wish we would have known what happened like seeing that cringy moment of him trying to get out of it yeah and in my mind as a kid i don't know like my memory got swayed and i I guess i remember more of that physical type of comedy or more of those like quirky happenstances of where he's trying to accomplish something or correct his wrong and you know the world is against him in you know in the form of the rug batting the bank book back i thought there was more stuff like that that happened Mm -hmm. to him you know like more again like more money pit type of stuff where you know they're trying to fix something and then another thing breaks and he's just like putting out fires all the time. Mm. That's what I remember the movie being like. Um, I also remember there being more scenes where the money became a factor. You know, like uh, so the wedding planner, aka yeah. the best part of the movie. Yeah. Uh, Martin Short and B.D. Wong as Frank Egelhofer and Howard Weinstein, uh, respectively. I thought that they were in it a little bit more and that the costs were presented as more of a surprise to them. To... To George and the family. Yeah. Uh, but really it was just like one or two scenes where, you know, we're doing this, 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 and this, and here's the bill. Yeah. It didn't escalate and keep on growing and growing and growing. Just, it, it's $250 a head. Here's yeah. your cost. And there you go. <laughs> so. I thought, I mean, because then they, when they have it at the house, they, <laughs> this was like when, like when um, Frank and Howard first see their house, and he's like, oh, the shutters, everything's great, but we have to change everything. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, very, very nice. We'll change it all, though. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that... And then it kind of looked as if, like, it was, like, Alice in Wonderland-ish. Like, they had people look... It looked as if they were literally painting roses pink. Mm. I don't... Like, were they doing that? I don't know. Like, it kind of looked like someone was doing that. 
it, like right before the wedding and then you know some fr- they get married on January 6th and you know they're in southern california but for some mysterious like magical, uh, magical? yeah magical yeah. global warming reason it snows a lot mm-hmm. in southern california yeah, it, they said it was, like, the first time it happened in, like, 60 years or something like that. Right. right? So, you know, they, they understand it's not a common occurrence and not an expected one either, I guess. But when it's snowing, they they don't even act like it's cold out. Even no. Though in L.A., you know, people who are in, like, 60-degree weather are If shivering. it was, yeah, if it was snowing there, wouldn't it have melt like the next day it kind of and does it would have been like way. muddy but wouldn't it have been muddy though probably i don't know like you're getting into really nitpicky stuff i know <laughs> <laughs> this is, this, that, I mean, that's where um I, I just thought it'd be like i thought george would be upset because all of this outdoor decorations would be basically ruined or that he well, had to like kind shift of more stuff outside into inside i mean he may have been disappointed but they didn't address that in the movie yeah they showed them like shoveling the walk and like the lady trying to hair dry the the, the flowers. flowers yeah and but, then they had to bring their swans into their bathtub so yeah. it can be warm yeah so i mean there's a little bit there but i guess it just goes to show that your memory of a movie that you've seen 30 years later can morph into different stuff and so this is a lot different than what i had expected i mean we also saw the 1951 like the original nineteen fifty. Yeah, the, movie. the original one. Yeah, we saw that like, like a few years ago. A few years. So maybe... I don't remember why we decided to watch that. I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea why we decided to watch that, but we did. Um, I don't remember a whole lot of that either, but I do have my notes I mean, from when we watched that. Similar. I mean, obviously, it's not going to be. I mean, it's. The same story where, you know, the father has to pay for everything and everything is just piling up with how much the cost is for this wedding. Yeah, I feel... I don't... um, I mean, I can't remember. They didn't have some over-the-top wedding planner. No, no, they didn't. And I... I mean, that's what makes this movie so much better is... Martin Short and B.D. Wong. And I'm wondering, is this near the beginning of, like, the wedding coordinator, wedding planner thing? Because George is confused that that's even a job, that you hire people to do that instead of doing it yourself within the family. Like, the beginning of it, yeah. And, you know, I was too young at the time, so I don't know if that was a common thing earlier than this, but this may have been the start of something of, like, a newer trend. Yeah, okay. In the 90s, and they wanted to accommodate that. Yeah, and one of the best, like, one-liners in the movie is, well, welcome to the 90s, Mr. Bonk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Martin Short has this outlandish accent, which is literally what the captions of the version that we watched said. was <laughs> outlandish Yeah, accent. in parentheses. Uh, and it's not supposed to be a specific country, I don't think. It kind of morphs into multiple different like it regions wants to and be countries. Like, yeah, it's like various European countries. Like it's it wants to be French and German and Italian. Yeah. And it kind of like, shifts back yeah. and forth depending on what <laughs> yeah. what syllable enunciation would be funnier for the Yeah, like when word. he says cake. Yeah. 
It's like cock. (laughs) So, I mean, whenever he says that, uh, he says it like out of the the side of his mouth, but, you know, he's like cock. Yeah, so it's it's very hard to understand him without subtitles even sometimes, but... uh, Right. And, you know, you have... And George is like the only person that doesn't understand him. And, you know, Nina and Annie are translating they're like cake dad or george yeah. or whatever like don't you know but he's probably like what yeah well he is like what he is like what um so yeah the 1950s movie did not have that type of a thing i feel like that one that one did stuff a little bit better than this newer version and then this newer version did stuff that's better than the original of course I felt a lot more sympathy for Spencer Tracy's character in the 1950s one. It, you know, he he was being run ragged. Steve Martin is just complaining about the money, but Tracy had to do, like, everything in that movie. Like, at one point, like, he was bartending for the entire party, and, like, you know, he was yeah. doing all this kind of other stuff, and it just got kind of overboard. Um, uh, the 1950s also had like a really cool dream sequence that was kind of like a Hitchcock or Salvador Dali thing, and that doesn't exist here either. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, there's like some weird stuff that happens in that one. Uh, Spencer Tracy, I think, was Oscar nominated for his performance in that movie. You could double check my work on that. And then you have Liz Taylor as the daughter, who is super melodramatic. In this movie, Annie's just kind of there for the most part to be like the straight man or just to be the the level set she's kind of like caught in the middle of her own wedding and isn't given much to contribute into the wedding planning itself in a way it's like yeah, she's it's all of, frank and she just kind of goes along yeah with she's just whatever frank is saying is the best is she's like, okay, well, you know, I want the best. Yeah, if, if my and parents then, are okay with this, yeah, then yeah, we're going to go with like, it. She's like, if we're okay with it. Like, the whole thing with the cake. She wants the $1,200 cake. Mm-hmm. Even, like, these prices that they're talking about in the 90s are, like, expense, still expensive to me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, a $1,200 cake and 250 a head. And they're so, talking about 572 people is what they yeah. say. Yeah. So this is like a six, this is like a $200,000 wedding. It's it's a situation where they're also doing it at George's house. And it's still right? that much money. But yeah. <laughs> so th- that, that's sort of, you know, where it, this movie is rich people problems. Yeah, exactly. I was like, this is just, I, I was like, I mean, I know they're making the, when this episode comes out. We're going to have the one with Gloria Stefan and Andy Garcia. Andy Garcia, but I mean, we'll that see, won't be we'll out see by how the time that is. Yeah. We recorded this. We have, yeah. We wouldn't have watched it. So, but, um, <laughs> I know that, but just from seeing the uh, commercials and promos for it, they seem like they're a well to do family. So, it's like this movie is not. And he said, We live in, I forgot what small little town yeah like not san mateo because that's northern right? san marino which is not really a real town but it's like a neighborhood so i don't know it's like near pasadena when i looked it up okay 
so okay they're like in the outskirts of la and then you know the mckenzie's they live in bel-air mm-hmm. so they are the uh the one percent <laughs> so they're like george and nina are just like you know middle class or upper upper middle class because mm-hmm. i mean george owns his own shoe company mm-hmm. and the, the the wife diane keaton's character nina also has a business apparently yeah but i don't know why I don't, yeah i don't <laughs> it's just a either. throwaway line at one point where they say they both own businesses right or they both run successful businesses okay (laughs) i don't know so yeah this movie is not so much about oh my gosh weddings are so expensive it is in a way that but it's it's more that it's george fighting against his family because he wants to keep costs reasonable for this wedding whereas everyone else is just saying yeah who cares about money you know like who cares about a budget you know nina is saying we don't go to europe we don't do this. We don't have fancy cars, which is not true. Yeah, they have nice stuff. <laughs> George has stuff. a super fancy convertible that you see in the first scene. Right. Um, they have a, a decent house, which, you know, obviously could have been a lot less money when he bought it. That's what he says, that this was, you know, yeah, the house he says, cost less he says, than yeah, this, the cake or whatever. The cake. <laughs> I mean, that that's like a, a $1,000 house. Yeah, I mean, he's exaggerating, but, you know... Uh, but yeah, Nina's basically saying, yeah, let's spend our money on this. Which is what a lot of parents think if you have the means. And these people I mean, have the means. Even like so their, it's not about they're going to go daughter, uh, Annie, she's, I mean, I don't know. This is like her last year of college because she's um, traveling or she's going to school abroad in Italy. And that's how she meets Brian. Yeah. And then she wants to be an architect. Yeah, and Brian is some sort of tech person, independent like, contractor. Like independent. Cause helping was set like up whole... computer networks is basically what yeah, they said. Yeah, and you know. They try and make a joke out of the whole job in, Yeah, thing. the independent. Like, what is independent means you're unemployed. Yeah. It's like, why are you independent and not working for a company? And, and so they... I mean, and then even the Mackenzies do offer to pay for some of this wedding, and George is, like, too proud of a person. He's like, oh, they think that we can't afford this. I'm not going to allow them to pay for anything. I will. Right, so he digs his own grave. And, and that's why I'm saying it's it's easier to feel more for, you know, uh, Spencer Tracy's character in the original. Yeah. Because he... He's, he's, <laughs> he's literally like he's overwhelmed he yeah. <laughs> is way over his head in multiple ways so i think that one does it better than this 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 just brings the comedy it does but it also doesn't at times it, it's it's a weird mix they they have like little or scenes like where this heartwarming thing where it's like the father is losing his daughter like she's He's like, oh, my daughter, my little baby is all grown up. And it's that whole thing. Well, like, he's yeah. going through this existential crisis. Mm-hmm. It's it's a nice mix. I think this movie creates a really good balance of comedy and, you know, heartfelt emotions. Mm-hmm. It's Nancy Myers, So it yeah. has a better chance of doing that 
than if it were other writers. I, I want to mention that, you know, we have four credited screenwriters here. Francis Goodrich and Albert Hackett are really just on here because they wrote the original. Mm. Um, Francis Goodrich had actually passed away before this movie was made. She passed in 1984. They are a husband and wife screenwriting duo behind this and also Father's Little Dividend, which was the basis for the sequel to Father of the Bride. Uh, the, the second movie. one, yeah. Uh, and then they've also written things like Thin Man, After the Thin Man, Diary of Anne Frank, where they won a Tony and a Pulitzer for the play version of that. Oscar nominated for Seven Brides and Seven Brothers. And they also did It's a Wonderful Life. You know, so mm-hmm. they're very prolific and, you know, they were given their dues here. And then Nancy Myers and Charles Shire, the other husband and wife duo who wrote this. Um, so you have that balance. And I don't think this movie is overly funny, nor does it have to be. No. And so, like, when the comedy happens, it's good. It's There's a lot of different types of comedy. Like, you have that one scene of the physical comedy that we talked about before with the pool... And then you have a lot of it is based off of Steve Martin's facial reactions and how he's reacting to Brian touching Annie's leg or how he's reacting to the announcement of the engagement in the first place and Mm -hmm. all these other little things, watching his emotions bubble up and the anger kind of swell in his head. That's supposed to be part of the comedy of this whole thing. And then there's the situational stuff. And then there's the linguistic stuff with Franck. You know, there's a lot of different mixes in there. But yeah, like the very first scene, you have George talking to the camera because the wedding had just happened, just ended. And he's going through this like little monologue about the shittiness of weddings, basically. Yeah. <laughs> and how it's like something that they don't really touch on a whole lot is how a lot of the costs that are involved feel like a scam. You kind yeah. of get that impression with the Frank and Howard stuff, yeah. but not, it's not overtly stated. You know, George never says, oh, this is robbery. No one's ever trying to accuse them of pushing up the costs of they're unnecessary just, yeah, stuff. He's just, just trying to keep the costs down. Right. So, yeah, Frank is always showing Annie, like, the best place settings and, you know, stuff like that. And she's like, oh, well, that would look great. And then she looks to her dad, like George, and he doesn't say no to his daughter ever. Mm -hmm. And she's like, but Annie is just like, it's okay with me if you're okay with it, dad. And then he just never really says no to her. So he's like, okay. But I mean, afterwards, when he's home with Nina, Nina sees that he's stressing over this. Even when they... This was, like, another weird thing. It's, like, they had to pay for the family members, like, the Mackenzie's family members that were in Copenhagen. Yeah. Like, their flights and stuff. And I was, like, why is, like, why? (laughs) Why couldn't they just pay for themselves? Or, to, yeah, to fly across the country or yeah. fly across the ocean. I understand it's, like, per, quote, tradition for, like, wedding planning. It's, like, the bride's parents to pay for the wedding. But why do they have to pay for all the people to attend? Yeah, it's only been 30-something years since this movie came out. But I think that 
just traditions and yeah dealing with these customs have traditions yeah since then by quite a large margin i i don't know if that was actually a thing back then or if that's just something they exaggerated for comedy's sake yeah it's like he had they had to pay for nine seats because one of the family members is you know overweight and takes up two seats yeah and then when they're going over the the list of people that have either declined or accepted it's like more accepted invites are coming in and then like they're sitting at the table and annie's like didn't so-and-so die and he's like yes <laughs> he but he's like yeah super happy about he's it super happy because it's like one less person he has to pay Saves for fifty dollars and then they're like and you know annie's just like dad <laughs> like why are you happy that he died you know and then you have, you know, the little brother, Maddie, who I was like, what is their age difference? Like, it's significant. Like 10 years? Probably. I don't know. I mean, he, I think Kieran Culkin he was, was like, probably, probably less like than nine. 10. Because his, I mean, in real life at least, because Macaulay yeah. was about our age when was he like had like 11. alone. Well, I guess he's still the same as our age. <laughs> yeah, he, he is our age. <laughs> you know, time moves in parallel for both of us. <laughs> We've just aged differently. Uh, but Kieran Culkin was always the younger one, so he was probably like eight-ish at the most, but, I would guess. Here. I mean, Annie is and 22. listed as 22 in the movie. I was like, so they waited, I don't know... I don't know if More they waited. More than 10 years? I mean, you could give the spoiler for part two, right? So, I mean, like, so things the, happen. Yeah, things just happen. <laughs> so, yeah, and then, you know, for part two, that's when the entire second movie is about Annie and Nina being pregnant at the same time, and then they have their kids at the same time. I mean, that's, like, very, like, parenthood. And I think it may be part of my misunderstanding oh, you were thinking was, of like, mixing those two movies up. Yeah. Yeah. Because I haven't seen either of those in a while. So, I mean, time. that baby is, like, 22 years. I mean, Annie is 22 years. I mean, they even mm-hmm. say in this movie, George is like, you know, she's 22. And then she's Nina... She's way too young to get married. Yeah, yeah, and Nina is like, we got married when we were 21. And I was 22 when we had Annie. And he keeps on saying, well, that's different. Yeah, he just always all says the that's points, different. Yeah, all the points that are made to establish Annie as an adult with real situation, you know, like real awareness and making her own decisions. George is like, well, that was different when it was us. And now it's different because it's her. Yeah. Which is a very, you know, typical reaction you would have. Or like any father. Overprotective father there. I mean, overprotective may not be the, the right word. In some situations it is. But, you know, even in that opening scene, like I was saying, he was talking about the shittiness and and very jaded about weddings, but he also goes into a monologue talking about what it's like to have a daughter and, like, talking about key moments of her life and all these little things where, like, the small details are the biggest of them all. Mm -hmm. There aren't any real memorable lines for me in that whole sequence, but just emotionally, it hits just, like, the right way. You know, it's, it's just written so purely that it has that perfect it's not too sappy and it's not trite it's just i, I think know. that's a nancy myers yeah thing. that's that's the quality that nancy myers brings to a movie and that's 
happens throughout in various different ways and then it never really gets old which is which is great uh, i love the the dynamic between father and daughter here and that's really the main focus of this you know we have annie and brian's relationship but i i don't really know anything about them i don't really feel the chemistry between them but it's not the focus of the movie yeah not really you know it doesn't really matter it's it's about what george is going through yeah. and how annie can help bring him to terms with her life changing yeah he's just doing anything for his little girl and there you there is a part where she falls asleep on the couch and she has like a cosmo magazine on her or yeah something. something about like how to have a cheaper wedding yeah 10 tips to make your wedding cheaper or whatever and he's reading it and then he just kind of like he's like i'm just gonna give her whatever she wants mm -hmm. at this point yeah, a lot of the key revelations are told through narration, mm -hmm. which is established in that opening scene, so it doesn't feel super out of place when it happens later on. I think we have to talk about the supermarket scene. Yeah, that's when he goes off the rails. Well, That's like he... a whole other kind of different type of comedy in a sense, I would say. It's kind of like taking what would be like a George Carlin stand-up bit and then... Mm -hmm bringing it to a real world setting you know yeah i mean that's when i don't know is this pre-reading the magazine or post-reading i think it's before he reads the magazine <laughs> he goes up into the attic and he's putting on one of his old tuxedos from like 30 years ago mm -hmm. and he's like really like struggling to get in I mean, it, it fits him, although like, it tightly. does. Yeah, it fits him, but tightly, and then eventually, as part of something of this frantic thing with Frank and thirty different people in his house trying to talk about different yeah plans, flowers, catering, things are and all this escalating, other stuff. and then he's trying to open a door, and it rips when he's trying to open the door, and that just like sends him off the rails, and he goes to the supermarket to look for hot dogs and hot dog buns. Yeah. But his argument, every time I think of hot dogs, I always think about this argument, though. Yeah, it's sort of an iconic thing, which <laughs> I don't believe is a problem anymore. Oh, really? Do they sell eight buns? Mm-hmm. Oh, is it because of this movie? I should have looked that I, up. I think, it, uh, yeah, I think <clears throat> this sort of... But, I mean, it was kind of a, uh, like, a stand-up comedy thing for a while before it even happened. You know what I mean? Like, it's... Did, oh, so did quirky Steve... observation of life is like hey how come hot dogs yeah, like come in Seinfeld eight, but... type yeah. level but buns are in six what's the deal yeah, yeah exactly that's why I was like did Steve Martin come up with that was this his comedy to know I mean his stand up comedy was much more absurdist rather than observational okay I'm just wondering and he stopped stand up comedy who came up with the hot dog in the late 70s i think or early 80s he stopped doing stand-up well i don't know you, you know i don't know like did nancy meyer like who wrote this scene i'm like it was this like a nancy meyers collab with steve yeah, martin or uh, i guess i should have looked that up too. <laughs> like <laughs> if, who if came up with this scene there, who knows if the answer is out there but the the whole thing is these ripping hot dog buns out of the package because he only wants to pay for x number of buns and you know 
the number of buns in the package don't align with the number of hot dogs in the hot dog package. Yeah, you have more buns than the hot dogs. And then it's like you have to buy the more hot dogs and whatever. (laughs) So depending on what you do, you either have to buy more than what you want of both or you're overpaying and buying stuff that you don't want. But he's like opening... um, three or four different packages of hot dog buns and taking four buns out. Yeah. And and he has, like, only two or three hot dogs, like, packages. He could have made the math work if he wanted to. Yeah. But the problem is, you know, he's not in the right frame of yeah. mind. Yeah, I mean, just, at this like, point, he's, like, everything. yeah, at this point, he's, like, over the top, just had it. And the workers confront him over the whole thing, and they're like, you still have to pay for whatever, and he, like, tries to run away in a sense, but he's, like, running away in the store, so I, I, I mean, that didn't really And then he got, I mean, yet. this like, whole thing of him going yet. to, like, the jail was, like, a 1920s yeah. jail. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's, like, a small-time Wild West jail. Yeah. It was, like, what era cell. is this? <laughs> Basically, like the drunk tank holding cell type of a thing yeah. that you see in well, sitcoms. He's, he's just there for a night. Not even. I mean, Nina comes to bail him out, and then that's when they have sort of the heart to heart talk and saying, "Look, you need to cool your shit, get your act together, and do this for your daughter." Yeah, like stop rolling your eyes and you know huffing and puffing and sighing or whatever. Whenever you hear a dollar amount for anything. I mean, it's valid. Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's valid. I would just because be Nina anxiety. doesn't care about the expense doesn't yeah. mean that George shouldn't. I don't know. It's, it's it's weird that Nina doesn't care about this at all to me. I mean, I her yeah her reasoning is like, I, oh, we don't have fancy cars, and we don't go to Europe. So yeah, we can spend she's the money like, on we're this, using. This is why don't still we a use lot of money. Yeah, it's it's like uh, what was the math like one hundred and fifty thousand dollars basically? Yeah, that's what I was saying. It's it's probably two hundred thousand. I mean, if you add like her hmm. dress and the cake and like all their clothes, I don't know, and then having to buy the plane tickets for these out of town people. Yeah, it, it's amazing. <laughs> it's an yeah. amazing amount of money. Uh, so I I would have expected a little bit more conversation on that i mean this sense. is like be like hey we could for, buy her a house for the cost of this you know what i mean like they could have yeah had they could have honestly bought a house and that this is like as someone who's like young watching this like you're you're just like is this the expectations for all weddings it honestly stuck in my mind when like we were planning our wedding that's you know, why like, i was like i don't want any of this shit yeah, like, let's not go too crazy if we Well, I didn't it even and, want you know. any of it. <laughs> I was like, let's just go to Vegas and be done with it. But, like, I didn't... Like, this movie, I think, caused, like, pre-anxiety uh, in, in me in, like, wedding planning. Yeah, and just the idea of how... If you watch this movie. <laughs> how out of control costs can get very, very quickly. I mean, even, yeah, when we did start looking for wedding stuff, just, like, having to pay for tables and chairs, I'm like, no. (laughs) (laughs) I am not going to. It was so strange. It was such a weird experience. The amount 
Yeah, just I don't know. Wedding planning sucks. I mean, it, I mean, this is and that's what this movie is portraying. And it's incredibly stressful. But in this movie, it's really only stressful to George. To which George, is kind of like odd. everyone is having fun with it, except for him because he's paying for it all. So that's that's what you have to deal with. And then the in-laws give them a car as a wedding present before the wedding all these gifts are coming yeah i was the like wedding. all these dumb traditions where it's like the parents have to give the children the wedding gifts prior to the wedding and then like the husband or like not even the fiancés have to give each other like a pre-gift i don't remember if we did that or not no, honestly i, don't know. I mean i I, I certainly didn't give you a blender give... like Brian gave. And then sh- that's when Annie. Annie flipped out. Yeah, it, it, but which I mean, is understandable is in the context of the movie. Yeah, right. Like they they do a good job of un, you know unraveling explaining her, like her insecurities with that. Or, yeah, and and the two sides of the whole situation where she's like, okay, this is a symbol of how he really just wants me to stay at home and be, and be a housewife, a housewife, which is antithetical to what he told me before. And meanwhile, he's like, she really likes making banana smoothies. I thought yeah, I mean, that's make her exactly, life easier. Yeah. <laughs> you know? like, I mean, that's kind of like how we it, think. I mean, yeah, that, that kind of it's thing. Like, that kind of misunderstanding does like, I happen. Want, I give this to you because you said you always needed, like, I don't know, a butter knife or something. <laughs> yeah. And then I'd be like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. <laughs> I don't like, know. Well, you're, only, you're always talking about this problem, and I was trying to solve that. It's like, well, this isn't a fun present. Like, yeah, I think she you. wanted something fun. Yeah. I but, I mean, the present that George gives them, like an espresso machine, I was like, I would want that. <laughs> That'd be kind of cool. Even though I don't know how to use one. No. I'd probably use it once, and then that was yes, it. Yes, you would. <laughs> And so, it, yeah, I mean, it's, that's really the only scene where we see any insecurities coming from Annie or any of the stress of the wedding coming out on Annie's side is when the plunder gift is happening. She's like, the wedding's off. And this is like as soon as George is like finally accepting, accepting yeah, the whole he, situation and he's happy. And then yeah, he doesn't really like Brian just because he's That's taking away his, his daughter like but brian's doing these things like he george even says like he's brown nosing big time and i don't like it yeah and you know brian is you know calling him dad immediately and stuff like that yeah and there's you know the... or even annie is just calling him george and he's like where is this coming from uh-huh. and so He's just like, I don't like him, but he eventually likes him, and then he just, that's when the whole story about, you know, Annie, he goes to Annie, and then Annie's crying, and he's trying to calm both of them down, and he does that within a night, because he takes Brian out to drinks. Yeah, he basically just gets Brian's side of the story, and then it's up to George as to whether or not he wants to actually sabotage the wedding, because he could if he wanted yeah, to. Yeah, he could, but or he's like, no, I want to do and... this for my daughter. Yeah. They obviously love each other, but there was just a misunderstanding. Yeah. And then, you know, that was like a one-night breakup, and then, you know, wedding happens. Yeah, the, uh... There, there's a couple things that we haven't talked about in terms of scenes. I think one is the basketball montage we haven't talked about so much. Okay. I mean, I think that, again, just reiterating, I really like the way that they portrayed the relationship between the two and, and gave them 
you know, an actual solid foundation of a relationship and how they have their little things that they do, you know, and so they're playing one-on-one against each other and doing all kinds of, like, jokey things and, you know, and then that comes back near the end when she's having, you know, her last-minute thoughts about the wedding and you can't sleep because she's so nervous and everything and they just talk and play basketball and that's when it snows. Like, it, mm-hmm. it's a good way to pull everything together. When we get to the wedding, though, I was really kind of taken aback at how long that scene was with absolutely no jokes. It's just like a straight-up wedding scene It's just where you yeah. see a lot of it, in my opinion. Too well, much. Well, it's just George um, trying to connect. He just wants to give Annie a hug and... That's the reception. I'm talking about the actual wedding part in the church. Oh. Like, that was dreadfully long to me. I don't know. That was fine. I don't know. I just expected some sort of comedy, I guess. I think that was just more of a heart-to-heart, because even Maddie wants to help out, and he's, like, like with the stepping. Yeah, but that was even before the wedding. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. But even during, he was, like... He was like, hey, I wrote it down on my hand so I don't forget left together, right together, or whatever. Yeah. And then, you know, it's mostly George, you know, he's the nervous one, and then he was just saying how Annie is so calm and cool about this whole thing. I just didn't like that scene. It was like the key scene. It was more of like a heart to heart instead of being funny. I know, but it wasn't even anything unusual. Like, there was no, like, custom vows oh okay you know there's no unique dialogue it was like do you take this person and they're yes. like yeah. do it was you mostly... take this person yes i mean the and i guess like, the quote comedy all the standard stuff and like i was like okay when is when is something funny gonna happen yeah or anything something, yeah is something funny gonna happen is something more heartfelt gonna happen and i really didn't feel it i guess the only heartfelt thing is when like the mckenzie Brian's dad is starts like bawling instead of like like George is the one that's he wants to cry but he's like keeping it in and then he looks over and he sees like the Mackenzies bawling yeah oh that that was it (laughs) yeah you could probably count that I mean that considering yeah facial reactions and cutaway shots to how people look or are a lot of the comedy in, in some of these scenes um, but yeah, at the end, like in the reception, the house is just so packed that George can't find Annie at all throughout yeah, the Yeah, it's just him trying to, to find to her just to say, give her a hug and kiss the bride. And kiss the bride, and that's it. And it never happens. Instead, you get like the cars are triple parked on the street, and that, because I they mean, only have two valets. Well, and I so mean, that whole thing, I was there. like, how can you. If you live in a residential street and you have, like, 500 people coming to your wedding... You gotta rent buses. (laughs) Yeah. And then, I mean, the comedy comes when, like, Maddie and his one friend... I forgot his name already. Cameron. Cameron. Played by Chauncey Leopardi, Mm -hmm. best known as Squints from the Sandlot. Yeah. So, like, George just looks at Maddie and his friend. They're like, hey, you want to park some cars? So, I mean, that's the comedy there. Seeing these eight-year-olds who are driving cars. These little kids driving cars. But I was like, how can they reach their legs down to the accelerator and all this stuff? (laughs) Probably can't. 
<laughs> but and then try to see over that dashboard. But I mean that was the comedy. And then he had to move these cars himself, like on their lawn. I got. I mean, wouldn't that ruin the lawn? But yeah, whatever. Whatever. You gotta do what you gotta do. But I mean, that's almost the end of the movie like they have a phone call where annie calls and says hey i missed you and blah 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 yeah, and this like another tradition where it's like you immediately go to honeymoon yes like the second your wedding ends yeah <laughs> like the, the, they're being run i mean they're in the house and she's i guess goes into her room and changes because she's in some cute little outfit and they're like okay we're off and everyone's like oh yeah like throwing rice and whatever again and you know george is trying to get to annie just to you know kiss her or whatever and you know she's being carried away and blah and then they go straight to the airport to go on their honeymoon like that night mm-hmm. that's how it goes so. And then she calls him, and then they have a heart-to-heart. And, and everything's good. He's able yep. to let go. Yeah. I think that's about everything. Mm-hmm. Um, we can talk about a little bit of the casting crew if you want here. Uh, so we talked about the other two screenwriters. We got the director, Charles Shire and Nancy Meyer. Uh, they were both Oscar-nominated for Private Benjamin. Golden Globe nomination for Nancy Meyer's for It's Complicated. They've worked on things like Jumping Jack Flash, Baby Boom, Parent Trap, the 1998 version, uh, Smoking the Bandit. Uh, this is actually Charles Shire. He had done Odd Couple, Partridge Family, Smoking the Bandit prior to working with Nancy. Uh, the only directing credit for Charles Shire that was not something that he also wrote was Affair of the Necklace, the Hillary Swank movie, which is odd. Nancy Myers is also a director. She's directed a lot of the stuff that she she's written as well, stuff as such as Something's Gotta Give and The Holiday, and she also directed What Women Want, which she did not write. Steve Martin is George Banks. We'll see him again a couple more times. L.A. Story and Grand Canyon. He's been, of course, in SNL, Muppet Movie, The Jerk, All of Me, Three Amigos, with Martin Short, Little Shop of Horrors, Planes, Trains, Automobiles, all this kind of different stuff. Diane Keaton as Nina, Oscar winner for Annie Hall, nominated for Reds, Marvin's Room, and Something's Gotta Give. She's also been in things like Godfather, Sleeper, Looking for Mr. Goodbar, Manhattan, First Wives Club, and Family Stone. She works with Nancy Myers quite a bit. And um, Kimberly Williams Paisley is someone I didn't really, you know, recognize beyond this. I mean, she didn't have like a... Yeah, she, was she didn't like have in like this the breakout movie, career. The second one, and that was pretty. That's all I know her from. I mean, she did a few things. She did. Uh, she did a voice in Porco Rosso, the the English dub of that. She was in Indian Summer. She was in a TV miniseries called Tenth Kingdom, which was kind of a big deal in a sense. She's been on the TV show Nashville, and her other biggest role aside from this is she was in According to Jim, that sitcom with Jim Belushi. She was like the wife mm. in that. Married to Brad Paisley, and I guess they had some sort of like a People magazine write-up of how her wedding was much more subdued <laughs> compared yeah. to like what you see in the Father of the Bride movie. Kieran Culkin is Maddie, Emmy-nominated for Succession, Golden Globe nomination for Igby Goes Down, uh, also MTV-nominated for Breakthrough Actor for that same role. He's been in Cider House Rules, Scott Pilgrim, and we'll see him again in 1991's Only the Lonely. 
George Newbern as Brian McKenzie, kind of just like the unnecessary, like he's a necessary character in this movie, but also kind of not. Like he doesn't, I don't know. Yeah. He's just kind of off to the side. Uh, he was in the Working Girl TV series. He's done a lot of voice acting work. He's done in Pirates of Dark Water. He was the voice of Theodore Rex in the movie Theodore Rex. Uh, he's been the voice of Superman for the DC animated stuff since 2001. He's also the voice of Sephiroth in Final Fantasy and Kingdom Hearts. And he has also non-voice acting work is Scandal. He was on that for many episodes as well. Uh, and then we have Martin Short as Frank Egelhofer. We'll see him again in Pure Luck, so we don't have to talk about him a whole lot here. B.D. Wong, Howard Weinstein. He's going to be in the 1991 movie Mystery Date. He's also in another movie called The Lounge People, which is not on our list. It's not findable anywhere. But he's had a really good career. Nice, diverse roles. Jurassic Park. He was on that TV series All-American Girl with Margaret Cho. Uh, he's been in Oz, Law & Order SVU for 230 episodes, Gotham, Mr. Robot, where he got an Emmy nomination. And he's in that new Gremlins TV series that they're making for Disney+. Plus. So... I think that's just about it i mean we could talk about eugene levy as the singer as the at the audition i thought there would be like more stuff like that kind of sprinkled in too yeah it was just like let's bring this one guy in for more comedy yeah you have like honk the caterer yeah played by david pasquesi who's in strangers with candy and beep um yeah that was that was a nice little another... scene i thought there would be like more quirky characters kind of sprinkled in throughout yeah the movie. But that didn't really happen. But yeah, Eugene Levy has like a brief cameo as an auditioning singer for the wedding band, I guess. So this is before he had his big resurgence through like the Christopher Guest movies and American Pie and all this kind of stuff. He was best known to me as like SCTV. Mm -hmm. So. In terms of the movie itself, we talked about how it is number nine box office performing movie, $89 million overall, which is pretty dang good. Not much to celebrate on the awards front. You do have a Young Artist nomination for Kieran Culkin. Uh, and then at the MTV Movie Awards, you have two nominations. One is for Best Comedic Performance for Steve Martin, but he lost to Billy Crystal for City Slickers. And then Best Breakthrough Performance nomination for Kimberly, but she lost to Eddie Furlong for T2. Mm. And then it also was part of a quotes montage. And Best Performance by an Animal. That With little, the swans? I guess the swans. Yeah, it's the only animal I can think of that was in this. So, oh, maybe the dogs. Yeah, the dogs with the release. Yeah, maybe. So that was weird. Again, we don't have a copy of the award show, so if you do, let us know so we can. We watch also this stuff. watched The Father of the Bride three and a half or three ish. Part three ish. Yeah. Which came out like right at the beginning of quarantine. It, that, that was just like right when it was like. Let's all bring the things that we liked 30 years ago to to cheer people up or something. And also act as a fundraiser. It was yeah. a fundraiser for the World Central Kitchen. Which I don't know how it raised funds other yeah, than they put this, a link at the bottom and they're hoping that people would donate if they saw the link, I guess. Yeah, because we, I mean, we watched it like 
a few days ago. We didn't watch it when it first came out. I it didn't was know like what a, happened. Uh, I knew it what it came out. But I remember the Fast Times table read with yeah, actors, yeah. but that's the only thing I really remember. I just feel like around like the very like after five six months of like the pandemic, it was like all these actors and actresses like trying to band together to you know raise money for random things. And this was one of the things. And it was just like a Zoom call meeting. And I feel like half of the people didn't even want to do this. No, nor should they. I mean, it also seemed like they just got the script that day and were just told to do it. Like, go off of it? I mean, yeah. yeah. I don't think there was much rehearsing, if any, on this. Yeah, I mean, it was fine. It was just, like, a Zoom call, and then Maddie, like, Kieran, like, all you had all the people come back, and then mm-hmm. you have Florence Pugh as the daughter of Diane Keaton and Steve Martin, and then you had Ben Platt as the son of Kimberly Williams and George Newberry. And then you, I forget, um... And then the... Kieran Culkin, Maddie, he, it's mostly him proposing to his girlfriend but then also wanting to get married on the zoom call at the same time and she's like a full-time nurse so she's like quarantining in a hospital somewhere else there's a lot of heavy-handed preachy yeah like yes (laughs) and it was just you know it was like right at the beginning because you have just steve martin as george banks being like very vigilant about like wash your boxes washing everything and then making sure everyone has toilet paper and wipes and whatever it's it's weird to say like it it feels like early pandemic you know because you know the it was like the science and and like how it is like it's been like two years but it's like i'm like rolling my eyes at that (laughs) even though i shouldn't (laughs) Okay, I understand the point of it, but it's also just, I don't know, it felt like a Nick Jr. lecture. Yeah, yeah, because it was like, make sure you wash your hands and bowl, don't forget this and that, and wash this. It was just like, Steve Martin was in a different room than Diane, well, you know, their characters, Nina and George, like, they weren't even in the same room and in the same house, like, Nina was, like, in the kitchen or whatever, and she's like, George is in the bathroom and has been, like, quarantining in our own bedroom bathroom for however many days for some reason. She didn't even say. Mm. She's like, I haven't seen him in a while. Because he's, like, too just super vigilant and doesn't want to, you know, yeah, get anyone sick. And he's wearing, like, a mask when the Zoom call starts. And then he's like, here, look at me try to take my mask off without even touching it. He uses, like, pencils or something. And you see everyone's fake like, laugh. Know. And it's, it's, it it's kind a of painful to watch. Like, it's... Even the non-pandemic stuff is very un-Nancy Myers-like, even though she wrote and directed this. Yeah, and I mean... <laughs> it's the, very... The this funny... is the sappy trite shit that I did not want right. and did not get in this actual movie. Yeah, and then, like, you have... So the girlfriend slash fiance slash wife of Kieran Culkin slash Maddie is uh, Alexandra Ship. She was in that Tick Tick Boom movie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she's a singer and she's done other stuff too. But um, 
like her father is played by Robert De Niro and I was like what is this meet the fuckers <laughs> I'm like why bring him uh, has a good relationship with Nancy Myers I guess uh, yeah and the, I mean the best part was having like Martin Short as Frank again and he was like their officiant yeah that was the best part I guess. it was the best part but it was also still not great yeah <laughs> I don't know. It it was an interesting thing. I think it would have been more interesting if they could have made it its own thing instead of a time capsule. This is like literally a time capsule movie that only applies to the three months worth of quarantine that it appeared in. Yeah. And beyond that, it's just more of like a oddity. It's like if you want to know what people were thinking back in that part of yeah, in history, the very beginning this is a good way to or, figure yeah. that out. So, anyway, we can move on to true crime of pop culture. Um, so, TV wise, this was December. So, this movie was released December twentieth, nineteen ninety one, right before Christmas. So, everyone was probably watching it on Christmas. Who knows? Um, but on ABC, it was the typical TGIF lineup, and there were there were new episodes, so I was kind of surprised that there weren't any repeats. But yeah. you know, they're all like Christmas related. And then on CBS, there was a Charlie Brown's Christmas that was on. Okay. And then after that, we watched this right before we recorded was like a Christmas special. It was just like a half hour McDonald's Christmas special. Well, McDonald's presents because there was no McDonald's in the actual story. Y- it was yeah, just Ronald it was McDonald inviting. telling the story to the Fry Guys. Yeah. Which is weird. Uh, uh, that's what, And then I was thinking, was that a thing? Like, did Ronald McDonald present other things? I don't. Like other specials that happening, no. Or I was just like, okay, I don't know. Maybe it did. But, but then, yeah, like, did McDonald's remember. release this movie? As you know how McDonald's sort of had. Yeah, they sometimes would sell like VHS VHS's. tapes and whatnot. I mean, the American Tale VHS we watched was yeah. bought at McDonald's. I don't know. I don't know if they would have. It was just like presented by McDonald's. Yeah. But. You know, it didn't talk about McDonald's at all. Maybe it's part of some court settlement thing that they had to like, <laughs> fund this. I mean, uh, the, so the special was The Wish That Changed Christmas, and it was based off of a book. And, you know, it was a 22-minute thing. On we, we watched it on YouTube, and we were just laughing at it, I guess. It was not good. <laughs> I mean, yeah. It's like this little girl who is in an orphanage? Question mark? But she's like thrown out for Christmas and has like, to go to a different All the orphanage? other kids in the orphanage found families for Christmas except for her. <laughs> I guess. And then like the owner of this orphanage is like, well, you got to get the fuck out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm going <laughs> to... And, and the girl's like, well, I can stay with my grandma. And she's looking at her books like, nope, you don't have a grandma. <laughs> <laughs> off to Appleton with you. <laughs> yeah, off to this infant... And then it was an yeah, infant... Yeah, off to an infant orphanage to you. 
And then she, like, doesn't even bother to take her. She's like, get the hell on this train and don't forget it's this stop. See you never Uh type of thing. And then, you know, she's like a 10, 11-year-old girl on the train. And she's like, I wish I had a grandma. I wish I had, like, a Christmas present. And, you know, the lady gives her a Christmas present. It's like a pencil box. And she's like, oh, whatever. Her name is Ivy. And then she goes to some random stop this town called Mill Valley and then you know the lights on the tree black out except for the letters I-V-Y and she's like Ivy that's me and then maybe my grandma (laughs) maybe my grandma (laughs) sent this to me (laughs) but then meanwhile there's like a doll in a store that wants a little girl to buy her and then there's like an older couple in this town that wants a a child so you know the wishes all came true at the end the older couple gets this child they just steal a the child off gets the side the, of the road yeah, the girl gets the doll the doll gets the girl the end it's like will you be my grandma all you have to do is love me <laughs> she's like can you no she's like can you do me a huge favor yeah. ma'am can you do me a favor can you be my grandma all you have, all to, you do have to do is, do is love, love me, me. Okay. The end. <laughs> the end. Uh, I don't know. Watch it on you. We have the YouTube link. <laughs> the problem is like it cuts off like a little bit before the actual end. Yeah, for like program. Ronald to McDonald to. So say we don't know anything. if there's like a yeah we don't know if there's an end piece with Ronald talking to the Fry Guys about what happened or something. Yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, we'll have the YouTube. That link was on amusing. After that was uh they had moonstruck on cbs saturday movie was Mm. moonstruck and then on fox is america's most wanted totally hidden video and then this comedy thing that we talked about before best of the worst yeah that was hosted by greg kinnear yeah yeah and then on nbc was matlock Pacific Station, which we've spoken about before, that had um, Robert Guillaume mm-hmm. in it, and uh, Dear John, and then Reasonable Doubts. So we've talked about all these TV shows before. But we didn't talk about that Christmas special, so no. we got that going for us. <laughs> and then moving on to music, as of December... 27th 1991 we have so these are the bottom five again because top five at least number one was the black or white song okay number 100 is this song called all i need is you by this band called blue train and i tried really hard to find out who they were and I really couldn't except this song was played in an episode of Baywatch that would have been what years later though it was like in season three of Baywatch wasn't Baywatch didn't that start in like 90 something 94 no Baywatch was like was that going on in 91 yeah oh I thought that was later like Pam and Tommy like, their whole thing. She was still on Baywatch. Yeah, but that, that was, like... That was 95-ish. Right? Yeah. <laughs> 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 B- 
Baywatch. I never watched Baywatch. Me neither. I cared. Um, number ninety-nine is the song "Lies" by the band EMF. This is just kind of like the B-side to their unbelievable song, I guess. That well, the other that other song by Blue Train. That was. 12 weeks on the chart and it peaked at number 46. This EMF song was 13 weeks on the charts and it peaked at number 18. Hmm. And uh, number 98 is the song Just Another Girlfriend by the band High Five, or group, I should say, the boy group High Five, where they had that number one to five hit, I forgot already, the, the kissing game. So this was probably their B-side to the kissing game or something. High Five, that's not the one with Robbie Williams, is it? No, that's Take That. Take That, okay. High Five is kind of like a... They both sound like candy bars, so... Oh. <laughs> High Five is like another new edition oh, wannabe okay. type okay. group. Uh, so that was five weeks on the chart and it peaked at number 88. Number 97 is the song Groovin' by UB40, which is like a lesser known song by them. Yeah. Besides, you know, this is like Red Red Wine era. And uh, that was five weeks on the chart and it peaked at number 90. Number 96 is a song by Kathy Dennis, which I've spoken about before. She's like another talked about this before she's like another vitamin c level person where she's done a lot of like secret she's written a lot of hits and produced a lot of hits and it's like this and you the, just never know about it yeah it's it's, it's like you never knew about like all the stuff she's done because she's done it like behind the scenes and you didn't even know about it yeah. <laughs> until i looked her up one day like maybe a year ago and I was like oh my god she's like another vitamin C where she's still like writing music for other people and their hits but anyways Kathy Dennis uh, the song Everybody Move and that was only two weeks on the chart and it peaked at number 90 so then we move on to rankings and ratings then yeah on your one to five star scale where are you going to put father of the bride I'm gonna give this movie a three. I I am too on my zero to four star scale. I'm gonna give it a three out of four. It's yeah you know, one of those things where I expected it to be funnier, but I wasn't disappointed that it wasn't. I think I would have liked it more if there were more jokes kind of put in there. If the the tone was maybe a little bit more consistent in one way or another, but you know it's still enjoyable for what is on the screen mm -hmm. uh, and so every movie is worth watching once would you watch this again yeah i would watch this again. yeah this is yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> You're just like, i feel like it's been a while since we said we would actually watch another movie you know one of these movies a second time but yeah i, I want to i would watch this and the second one again because i haven't seen the second movie in a long time I, yeah, I would not have seen it since it released if I saw it back then even. I, I just know. remember, I mean, the funny parts with Frank again. Okay. <laughs> yeah. 
yeah, I mean, it's good that the whole movie wasn't Franck. It's good to have him in smaller doses sort yeah. of in here. But, um, yeah, this is, you know, it, it was a big hit for a reason. And I think for the most part, if you kind of ignore some of the social stuff about what wedding planning is, you know, like some of the uh, expectations of Father of the Bride's responsibilities have changed since then, but still, mm-hmm. it works. If you out there want to watch Father of the Bride as of this recording in June 2022, it's available on TBS, TNT, Digital Rental, VHS, and DVD. As always, check your local listings. You can find us on all of your major podcasting platforms. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends. You can email us at 1991moviewrewind at gmail.com. Of course, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, YouTube. Just search 1991moviewrewind or go to 1991moviewrewind.com for the full list of movies along with show notes and more. Next week is the last week of our Word Association Month. We're going from Father of the Bride to The Perfect Bride. That's only available on VHS. And we will see you then.